Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Mm. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this evening. Just uh, would you remember these folks and you're praying, the Bashaw family, uh, Sister Carol, uh, <clears throat> Sister Bashaw, uh, Sister Bobby, uh, failed the other day and uh, bruised herself pretty bad, but she's uh, is getting better. So continue to lift her up in prayer. Brent Smith, uh, Mark Peavy, Brandon Johnson, Carolyn Andrews. I think I saw Carolyn here. And uh, glad she's feeling some better. Pat Selman, Jet Allen, Elijah Durham. We want to remember brother and sister Beck in our praying. Uh, Joe Chambers, Terry Farmer, uh, brother and sister Pennington. Paul David Rowe is uh, going to be going back to the doctor uh, for a, a biopsy, so please pray for him. Peggy Dinsmore, the disc in her back. And uh, we want to pray for Becca Stewart and Crystal Harris and uh, the ask God just to help them and minister to them this evening. Let's join together, could we? We want to mention all these names, but you also have things on your heart that are unspoken. I'm so thankful that the Lord already knows those things. We can just bring them to his attention tonight. And then let's call in souls. Let's call in people that are lost from the north, south, east, and west. Let's just loose the harvest into the church in these last days. Would you just pray with me that way? Father, in the strong name of Jesus, we thank you that you hear us when we pray. Lord, your word says if we ask anything in your name and according to your will, then we know that you hear us. And this is the confidence that we have when we know that you hear us. We have the petitions that we desire of God. So Lord, we're confident tonight that you're going to answer our prayers, that you're going to do a work in the lives of the people of God. Every name on our prayer list, those names that we called out. And Lord, even those tonight that are in our heart, that were unspoken, but Lord, you survey our heart and you know the need that we have and Lord, I just believe that you're touching and healing in the name of Jesus and that Father God, the Holy Spirit is moving in behalf of the needs of, of the people of God in their families, in their finances, in their bodies, in their health, in their minds, in their spirit. Lord, in every arena of their lives, we just believe for the blessing and help and favor of God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Your word says whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Father, I just believe tonight. I just believe. And I thank you, Lord. The results is up to you. But you're a prayer answering God. Isaiah said, call upon me. Oh, call upon me and I will answer thee. I thank you, Lord, that you answer us. God, we believe for souls right now. Loose the harvest of souls that are in this community. Lord, God, all over Monticello and in this area of southeast Arkansas, let the Holy Spirit just produce a harvest of souls 
in these last days. Let the gospel be preached. Let the word of God be taught. Let Christ be exalted and draw all men unto his precious bleeding side. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. In Christ's name, we thank you for building your church. The gates of hell will not be successful in standing against it. We praise you. Bless these sweet folks tonight who've come out to hear the word of God. Encourage them, bless them, and strengthen them in their walk with Christ. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated if you're not already. Boy, we've got a pretty piano player. I think I'll go home with her tonight. <laughs> she said I didn't have any choice. <laughs> uh, amen. Did you hear the story about a preacher's parrot who talked really ugly? And he just kept doing it. And the preacher told him, told the bird, he said, if you don't stop, you're going to regret it. And the parrot paid no attention to the preacher. And finally the preacher got full of it. He couldn't stand it any longer, the parrot and the, his ugly talk. And so he grabbed the bird and he threw him into the deep freeze and shut the door for about ten minutes. After 10 minutes, he took the bird out, and the bird was just chattering, almost froze, you know. But the bird had had a sudden conversion. He begged forgiveness and apologized for his use of bad speech and his disobedience and disrespect. And so the preacher forgave him. And the bird said to the preacher, I've got just one question, sir. What did that turkey do? <laughs> that turkey is a lot bad, worse shape than he was, wasn't he? Man. Take your Bibles and uh, turn with us uh, tonight to... Uh, Matthew chapter 5, we're uh, going to start this evening a study uh, on the Beatitudes. These are the attitudes that Christ wants us as followers of Jesus Christ to uh, exemplify in our life. If, uh, if you would, I'll uh, start reading in verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, 
for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. This uh, wonderful teaching is the beginning of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, it is contained in Matthew's Gospel in chapters 5, 6, and 7. And I've always believed that if there were any portion of Scripture that a Christian could have that would enable them to be taught a way to live and a way to conduct themselves in life, and if that was the only passage of Scripture that they had, this passage of Scripture, 5, 6, and 7 in the the Gospel of Matthew, uh, would be that portion of God's Word. Jesus taught us the basic and also the very deep truths of the kingdom of God. I'm interested in being a Christian. I don't know about you, but I am really interested in being a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, In the last 10 years, the term Christian, albeit still a good term, has uh, somewhat attracted to itself some uh, (laughs) a motley crew. (laughs) And what what do you mean with that, Pastor? Well, you'll, you'll discover that, that I, I use the word Christian uh, fairly often, I suppose, but most of the time, if I'm talking about someone who is saved, I'm going to call them a Christ follower. Because nowadays, not everything that says it's Christian is Christian. Not everything that says it is Jesus is Jesus. And uh, it, it, it's very, very sad that those who, who name the name of Christ, uh, one, of the, one of the things that uh, some of you are old enough in this room to remember, and I, I got in the assemblies and the, and the holiness movement, uh, and you say, holiness movement, what in the world is that, Pastor? Well, that's what we used to call Pentecostals. We're, we're people of holiness. And the reason we did is because at the turn of the century, the 20th century, uh, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it was poured out on the holiness people. The Wesleyan Methodists, for instance, were some of the very first people to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Wesleyan Methodists were known for their piety, for their righteous lifestyle, and their desire to honor God. The, uh, the Church of God people were holiness people. Um, the, uh, eventually, the assemblies of God, our roots are in holiness. 
And you know, the Bible says this about a Christ follower. Let the person who names the name of Christ depart from evil. Doesn't say that. Amen, Walls. <laughs> Doesn't it say that? Let the person who names the name of Christ stop sinning. Well, we have a, we have a doctrine that's being taught in the church, and it's, it's become very per- pervasive, and, and it's, it's infiltrated even some of the, what, I, what I would call people of, of, of great biblical integrity. And, and it's a cheap grace. And, and they teach that grace, once you receive grace, you, you, you don't ever have to ask God to forgive you again. If, you, if you've been forgiven, you're forgiven. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. If you read all the Word of God, uh, John, the beloved apostle, who if anybody was known as the apostle of love and grace, it would be John. But John says, if we sin, we have an advocate or defense lawyer with uh, the Father, in the presence of the Father, Jesus Christ. An advocate is somebody who pleads your defense or argues your case before a judge when, when you've committed a crime. And John uses that exact word. Jesus is our defense lawyer. Why do we need a defense lawyer if we're not guilty? All has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, we're all in the same boat, aren't we there? But the truth of the matter is, John says, when we sin, and that's after we become a Christian, that we are to ask forgiveness for our sins. So that we can have a continual, ongoing cleansing of the blood of Jesus. Come on, somebody. And, and we have this, this cheap grace now that is, is telling us that, uh, and it's a hyper-grace message, it's beyond grace, because Paul tells us grace does not teach us to sin. Grace is not a license to do wrong. Is it? Grace, the Bible says, grace teaches us to abstain from fleshly lust. Grace teaches us to perfect holiness in the, in the fear of God. And so that's why I use Christ followers so much now instead of just saying Christian. Because there are a lot of Christians who, who've gotten off base with this, uh, this relationship issue of, of whether we should ask God to forgive us of our sins or not. And uh, my grandmother was a, a tremendous spiritual influence in my life. She was a, a Baptist lady. Uh, she grew up in the Primitive Baptist Church, and if you know anything about Primitive Baptist people, they were five-point Calvinists. They were into predestination and, and, and the whole nine yards. You have five-point Calvinists, uh, you have three-point Calvinists, you have two-point Calvinists. Uh, but my grandmother, she, she, she told me as a small child, she said, Son, don't ever think that you get too, too good to ask God. To forgive you for your wrong, for your sin. And uh, the older I have gotten, the more truthful that is. I tell you, Paul went through an unusual progression of holiness in his life. The Apostle Paul. If you look at him when he first writes uh, his, uh, his initial letters, 
he, he says things like this, uh, one particular pointed statement, I am the least of the apostles. Now that was at the beginning of his ministry. Thirty years later, down the road, after he had been lifted up into the heavens, and uh, he says, uh, saw things that, that, that he couldn't even write about, that God wouldn't let him even tell about. He, he had raised people from the dead. He had, he had healed the sick. He had seen all kinds of miraculous things. A snake had bit him, and, and he didn't die. Uh, he was in the deep for three days and nights and, and was delivered from that and was stoned one time left outside the gates of the city for dead, and, and God either raised him from the dead or caused him to recuperate to the point that he was just able to get up and walk away from it. Now, I want you to know, Paul experienced the supernatural power of God. And if anybody ever experienced Jesus, Paul did. And Paul, when he first got converted, said, I'm the least of the apostles. Thirty years later, he says, I am the chiefest of sinners. Now, isn't that an unusual progression of holiness? Instead of saying, boy, I've achieved, I've made it, I've lived for the Lord now 30 years and all these wonderful things have taken place, and look at me now. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. The truth is, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you love Him, the longer you live for Him, the, you know the reality of who He is and who you are. And we are always made keenly aware of that in us that is not like Him. Come on now. The closer you get to Jesus, it's going to produce some tears in your life. And the tears are not going to be happy tears altogether. They will be. But there are going to be some tears of repentance. There's going to be some. The, the more Jesus shines his light into those dark areas of our life and he gets into us and starts rolling back the, 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 the different layers of our soul and, and shines the bright spotlight of holiness on us, man, I'm telling you, we realize how much we need him. We, we realize how much we need him. Now, I want us to, to look at this, this, this teaching of Jesus and, and understand that he is sharing with the disciples and all those that are sitting in that kind of amphitheater on the, those Judean hillsides around the Sea of Galilee. And uh, he, he's teaching them what it means to follow him. What it means to be a child of God. And uh, I, I want us to look at these attitudes. Everybody say attitudes. Uh, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, like some prosperity preachers would tell you. Now, I believe God will bless your britches off, and you better carry two pair unless you don't have any on. God will bless you. God will provide for you. He's blessed me all the days of my life. I've been saved since I've been a six-year-old kid, and, and that's 57 years ago now. And, and there's never been a day when I, I could ever point my finger at God or heaven and say, you haven't been good to me because you have. God has been so good. He'll bless you. But the kingdom of God is not about natural, temporal, physical things. Paul said, Romans Chapter 14, verse 17, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, 
But it is, everybody say, it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That, that's what the kingdom of God is. And so Paul says it's, it's, the, it's the internal that's important. It's the things on the inside that matter the most to God. And these things that Jesus teaches us here are all about attitudes. Everybody say attitudes. I want you to get that. Attitudes. And, and, and if we get these attitudes in our spirit, man, we're going to be taking on the likeness and the image of Jesus. We'll start looking like him, acting like him, talking like him, and, and, and influencing people uh, for him. Now, the, it starts out with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word uh, blessed or blessed is the Greek word makarios. Makarios um, means happy on the inside. And, and again, the emphasis is on the internal, not external. So when Jesus is talking here, he says, happy on the inside. And did you know that's where real happiness starts? Is in here. It's not out here. Some of the most miserable people in the world are the wealthiest people in the world. Because they're always concerned about how they're going to keep their wealth. Protecting it. And uh, keeping and holding on to it. And and what they're going to do with it. And what somebody else is going to try to do to steal it from them or take it from them. And, and uh, you can't buy happiness. You can't buy joy. You can't buy true peace. Only Jesus can give you those things. And, and so the Lord says, happy on the inside are the poor in spirit. That word makarios, blessed, is used 55 times in the New Testament. And I think just by the emphasis of the use makarios, blessed, happy on the inside, content on the inside, peaceful on the inside, you would think Bible teachers would, would move away from this idea that, that temporal things make us happy. Now I'm telling you, we need food, clothing, and shelter. And you can't be too happy without food, clothing, and shelter. But, but I'm, I'm telling you, Jesus even takes care of that, doesn't he? When he says in Matthew chapter 6, same teaching, same sermon, Sermon on the Mount, 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, what are these things? Food, clothing, and shelter. That's what he's talking about. The basic needs of life. Food, clothing, and shelter will be added unto you. So the Lord says if you get happy on the inside and put Him first... Keep Him where He needs to be. And I'm telling you, when you keep Him first and you make Him Lord, like we studied Sunday morning, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm happy with His present provision. I shall not want. If we have that kind of attitude in our life, then we're, we're, going, to, we're going to experience 
We're going to experience the righteousness, the peace, and the joy that the Holy Spirit can, uh, can produce in us. Now, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. What, what does poor in spirit mean? Poor in spirit has uh, uh, been interpreted in, a, in so many different ways, but what I, th- I think that the easiest to understand is, is this concept. And I, I heard our general superintendent of the Assemblies of God several years ago, uh, Brother Dr. Wood, talk about this. And uh, he... he a tremendous Bible scholar uh, to begin with, but uh, he said his best study revealed that to understand poor in spirit is simply this, is the ability to be able to say and confess, I need help. A person who is poor in spirit is a person who is able to understand their dependency on God. And sometimes our need of help from others. I need help. Everybody say, I need help. I, I guarantee you, I need help. And uh, you're probably not too far from being like me in that regard. All of us need help. And Jesus said, happy on the inside are people who have come to the realization that they are not self-sufficient in and of themselves, but that they are able to realize their dependency on God and also their connection with other people. Happy on the inside are those who are able to say, I need help. The story is told of a young American student who visited the Beethoven Museum in Bonn, Germany. The student became fascinated by Beethoven's uh, piano that was on display there. It was a, a great thrill of that student to think that Beethoven had composed some of his greatest works on that particular piano that he was exposed to. The student asked the museum guard if she might play a few notes on Beethoven's piano. To help persuade the guard, she also slipped him a lavish tip. The guard agreed, and the girl went to the piano, and she played the opening of the Moonlight Sonata. As she was leaving, she said to the guard, I suppose all the great pianists who come here want to play on that piano. And the guard shook his head and said, Paderewski, who was the famous Polish pianist, and at that time, when this little girl visited Beethoven's museum, was the greatest of pianists in the earth, was here a few years ago, and he said he wasn't worthy to touch it. Poverty of spirit is certainly not something that comes real natural to us, is it? 
Because it's rooted, it's rooted in humility. And humility is not something that we are graced with naturally. The flesh is very prideful. And that's why the scripture warns us, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. And so Jesus is teaching us that if we are poor in spirit and we are able to say we need help, we are living in such a way as to declare humility in our lives. James uh, chapter 4. The the Bible says, uh, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and He will lift you up. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and He will lift you up. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The word resist there is a, is a, a relationship term. And what it, what it pictures is this. Uh, it's, a, it's a person with their hand outstretched like this. Phyllis, come here. You can help me illustrate this real quick. The Holy Spirit saying through James that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so if, if Phyllis is proud, God's hand is stretched out like this. Try to come to me. See, even if she tries to come to me, she can't come to me. Why? Because God, God's resisting her. Actually, Mike's resisting her right now, but this is kind of fun. Wouldn't take advantage of it at all. You like being resisted? No. But see, that's what God's saying. God resists the proud. You can't ever, if you're proud, you can't ever get any closer to God than this right here. But He gives grace to the humble. And what that means is, He takes down that barrier and He embraces us. He embraces us. So humility brings us into the presence of God. You see that? And so that's really what Jesus is teaching us when He says, happy on the inside are those that can say, I need help. Because they're crying out to God in a way that allows us to maintain humility and not resist the Holy Spirit and not resist the presence of God and not resist the, the, the embrace of of God's presence. Our, our culture and our world emphasizes and appreciates things like self-reliance and self-confidence. But poverty of spirit is absolutely essential for us to be right with God and for us to be righteous in His eyes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. J.B. Phillips' translation renders it, How happy are the humble-minded, 
for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. It really shouldn't surprise us that this is the very first beatitude because it is definitely the key that unlocks the door that will release all the others that are mentioned there. Because if you don't learn how to walk in humility, you'll never be able to experience all of the other things that Christ has for you. Because humility is the key to God embracing you and holding you close. If we don't walk in humility, God's keeping us always at arm's length, resisting us. What does it really mean to be poor in spirit? First of all, being poor in spirit does not mean financial poverty. Spiritual poverty is not a matter of money. You can be the richest person in the world and be spiritually poor. Certainly money can be a problem for us spiritually. Jesus had a whole lot to say about finance in his ministry. Matter of fact, sometimes that's where he sat at in church. He sat right by the money box. You know why he did? Because he was watching not just what was put in, he was watching how they put it in. God loves a cheerful giver, not a begrudging giver. That has a whole lot to do with humility or pride. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's do our best to perfect humility in our lives. If, if we can do that, we're going we're gonna to experience the supernatural presence of God. God flows his power through a yielded vessel that is humble before the Lord and if we want God's best in these days that are ahead of us let's walk in humility and we will experience this supernatural blessing of being poor in spirit doesn't mean that we're destitute doesn't mean that we're poverty stricken it means we actually are rich in Christ because the Smaller we can be, the bigger Jesus can be. The less of us, the more of him. And poor in spirit literally means that issue is that we humble ourselves and make ourselves small so that God can be great and large in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God this evening.